podcast presented by Winthrust, proud legacy partner of the Chicago Cubs and exclusive home of Cubs Checking, open online today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. As always, Elise Menneker, your host here, our digital content manager, Tony Andraki, and player development analyst, Lance Brozdowski. Good to see you guys, as always. Good to see you, Elise. How's it going? Good. I'm in New York, so I have the series here, and I know that you guys are back in Chicago, but there's still a lot to get to and a lot to talk about. So let's get to it, because one guy we can't stop talking about, because he deserves to be talked about continuously, is Christopher Morrell. So, um, Tony, I'll just lead it off with you by saying, you wrote a great article, actually, about him. I can start there. Um, But what would you like to say about him, whether it's something from that article or, you know, just any other observations right now? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like we can't talk about him enough, almost. Like, I'm really curious, like, what Cubs fans think. Like, is there such a thing as too much Christopher Morrell content (laughs) right now? Because my, just, I'm getting, like, texts, and, um, you know, I saw a friend's dad last weekend, and he was like, oh, yeah, this this new kid, the rookie, Morrell, is doing really good. And I was like, like, everybody wants to talk about him. Everybody, every fan that I've run into, everybody I see on social media, like, I want to talk about him. I mean, he's he's really such a great story. He's such a good kid. I appreciate his attitude. Um, like you mentioned, at least the article on marqueesportsnetwork.com. I mean, he's been so impressive with two strikes, and you see him crouch down and uh, really get in a more kind of like athletic stance, but he, he takes that breath. He's able to have such amazing at-bats. He had such an impressive at-bat against Ryan Helsley, the Cardinals reliever who throws 100, but throws a bunch of sliders, and Morell, you know, ended up, uh, dumping a slider into left field for like a game tying hit last weekend in, in the doubleheader. So there's just so many at bats. It's been so impressive. And, you know, I'm glad that we have Lance on too, because I know Morell is a guy that he and I have talked about a lot. And I don't think anybody saw this coming with, with Morell in these first three weeks. Yeah. Lance, I, I, I didn't saw you tweet. You're like, I'm going to be at Murphy's if you want to get on me about not asking my top 10. I know. <laughs> I've been getting ragged on in the office. I, it's, <laughs> the reality is, is like prospect rankings are really hard. Like, yeah, I would think I, so. <laughs> I'm going to be 70% wrong, right? Like, <laughs> it's just how it works. So, I, but I will admit, like, I thought some of the language I had in the blurbs I wrote about Morel dating back to early 2021 were pretty like praise. Like, it, it's not like I thought he wasn't a major league player. Like, I think I literally put in there that I thought he was a major league piece, you know, like it's just, he kind of was not set up position. He's so electric that like in the minors, the approach was a little bit different. I think that's the main thing like Tony's getting at too, is like the approach that he's shown in this sample to me is a little bit like, Whoa, like I, if, if I knew he was going to walk over 10% of the time and like, his K rate would drop jumping from double A to, to the majors. And again, it's a small sample. This stuff takes some time to stabilize, but I probably would have looked at him very differently. Like if you, if you had me project what he would do coming up, I would say it would be all these electric plays, but I'd say the approach would be like 30% strikeout, maybe 5% walk and just kind of, you know, in the zone mistakes, he's going to hammer them, but out of the zone stuff he's going to struggle with. And that just hasn't been true. Like it's, it's just not been like that. It's a different player and it's impressive. And, you know, I've talked to people in the office. It's like, Sometimes you get a guy a bump and he just does this and you don't really know what to think, right? And that's the issue with prospect ranks most of the time. It's like I'm taking some probability and thinking that he's going to end up here, but obviously there's a huge range of outcomes and we're getting a, a pretty good outcome so far. And two, with the prospect rankings, a lot of the guys you're watching film on them, you're looking at the numbers. And I think a big part of it is talking to them. And yeah. you've actually gotten a chance to talk to a lot of them. Um, but in fact, I think it was, 
you did Christopher Morrell's first English interview. We did. Um, and so I think that what he's like that confidence, right? And a lot of the times, like things that come with that that can't be measured are what make you successful at the big league level. And so far, Christopher Morrell has had a lot of success. And Tony, in part to what you not just to what you wrote about, but in part Lance to what you talked about, and Tony, what you wrote about in your article. To your, both of your points, a guy did not have any walks in 2018. Yeah. So like not a single walk in 93 plate appearances. Yeah. Now as a hitter, like I didn't walk a lot. So I'm like, yeah, I can see it. Like I like to hit, I don't want to take <laughs> yeah. my walks. But I mean, at the same time, when you're playing at this level, the idea is right. You got to have that. You got to take your walks. You got to take your free passes because of, it shows the plate discipline. It shows um, that you have a good eye because of, you're going to just get exposed over and over again. If, if you just don't take those back bad pitches you try to swing at everything so yeah I I think that's kind of been the fun part is is also watching the adjustments like you hit on Tony that he's making each at bat um or even during the at bat really whether it's with two strikes crouching down standing up he just kind of does what he feels and I love that I love that because I think especially in a game where it can be driven by numbers sometimes or at least just the analytics and, and what that tells you um for a guy to just kind of feel it feel his way through and do what um, seems right in that time, I think is really refreshing. And his, his um, not just that confidence, but the energy is, is really fun for, to see someone come up like that and to have the confidence to even just to show that off, right. To, to be himself. Uh, I think that says a lot, not just about him, but about the team and embracing him and what he can do. Um, so he's been a great storyline, a surprising one, considering he gets called up from double A and kind of is doing what he's doing. So Lance, I'll start with you on this one. What is like another storyline, and maybe it's a couple that you're going to kind of keep track of or that you're looking forward to see pan out here in the season? I think it's a lot of these young arms, which I imagine we're going to get to at some point here, but we're starting to see the fruits of some of the foundation that Cubs laid just before the 2020 season, maybe a little bit of the late 2019 season in terms of overhauling some of the front office and starting to develop systems that actually produce major league talent, which we hadn't seen for a really long time, specifically on the pitching side. Um, we've seen Swarmer come up. We've seen Killian come up. There's a guy who I think you've seen probably at least Cam Sanders who has crazy, crazy raw stuff. Um, every now and then I'm getting like guys that are popping on my radar, looking through box scores in the minor leagues that I'm like, Oh, I haven't heard of him. And then I look through the data on the minor league side and I'm like, okay, he's a guy like, you know, I was just thinking about this the other, actually today I was just looking at this kid from high A Jeremiah Strada. Uh, he's like a 2017 sixth rounder. He's got like crazy big K numbers in high A. He pitched last night three innings, six Ks. And like the numbers on the year are great. And I was like, I didn't, I have no idea who this is. And then you look up the data and he's like 93, 95, with like huge vertical movement on his fastball. That's that carry and ride that really works up in the zone. And it, it's just an unhittable pitch. And it's going to be an unhittable pitch through the higher minors too, I think, based on the data. And I just feel like I'm stumbling on these guys every now and then. And it's, it's really encouraging. It's great because I feel like in the past, I, you know, there wasn't too much of this, but it's starting to make its way through and we're starting to see it at the major league level as well. So that's the main storyline. It's like, what other arms come up that we're like, okay, like he's a guy, he's going to be some kind of contributor. You know, maybe it's, it's 40 man is stuffed. You know what I mean? But maybe it's a bullpen role. Maybe it's a really good trade piece or something, but the asset getting a lot of guys and having a good foundation of a team is, is fantastic. Yeah. And from, I mean, that's a great one, Lance, like the waves of pitching coming up, you know, starting pitching and relieving, like 
that's huge. I mean, we didn't see Matt Swarmer coming two weeks ago. You know, we didn't think that he'd have two quality starts. And, you know, he's a little bit older. He's 28. But, like, if he can be a usable piece, if he can be a multi-inning reliever or even in the rotation moving forward, like, that's huge. And that changes the calculus for Jed Hoyer's front office moving forward. Um, For me, I'm looking at the position players a lot, too, because I feel pretty confident in the waves of pitching coming. Like, I don't know how many starters you can have go out there would be like top of the line rotation, you know, in the in the minors that are like close. Maybe Caleb Killian can be that guy. But like, I think a lot of position players, the Cubs have to figure this out. Like Christopher Morrell, we talked about he can play so many different spots. Looks like he's probably penciled in as center field like next year and maybe moving forward. But let's see how the next three months play out for him. And let's see, like, Nico Horner, can he hold down shortstop? Can he stay on the field? And I think Nick Madrigal is a big one, too. Like, they obviously thought enough of him to to trade last year, and he's this former top prospect, early first-round pick, who's hit everywhere he's been, but he hasn't had that same kind of luck here in the north side. And he's coming off a big injury, and um, he's moving well in the field. I've been really impressed with his defense so far, but the bat just hasn't quite been as advertised so far. And I feel like if he can get back to the player he was in the White Sox and he can become like this piece that going into next year or moving on, the Cubs know, hey, Nick Madrigal's at second base. He's locked down. doesn't really matter where he hits in the lineup, but you know you're going to get good offense from him. Then, hey, we have Nico Horner who could play shortstop. He could play second, third, some outfield if need be. And then we have Morrell, like, and then keep adding in pieces from there. I feel like that that is really important and, and a very big storyline as we see how the rest of the season plays out because we don't know what the trade deadline's coming. We don't know exactly who's going to be leaving or going or whatever. Um, but but I think some of those guys that we know are under contract are going to be around for a while. Emerging as like core everyday type lineup pieces, that's something that I'm going to keep an eye on through the end of the season. Yeah, I think uh, I'm also interested in seeing how things play out uh, with Nico Horner at shortstop and not so much in the sense of um, like, can he hold down shortstop, but just how he does it. Because I think he's proven, I mean, he's a talented player. I think he's proven that he can do that day in and day out. And just a matter of he had a fluke injury, just running into the umpire, like not something obviously that ever happens a lot, but just coming off the year he had where he had some injuries, just making sure that he can stay out there and we can see his ability when he's able to um, I'm with you on the other positions. I think that's a great one lands on the arms, especially with the narrative that has surrounded the Cubs and their ability to develop pitching and just seeing as these guys come up, just kind of where they're at with that and the strides they have made. And I think for me too, just um, I think those will be a continuous one, but say a Suzuki, when he comes back healthy, just how he continues to adjust because as the league is adjusting to him, um, how can he continue to make the adjustments? And we always knew that it was going to be a learning curve. I think the athleticism is there. Um, the awareness is there, which is the big one. And now it's just about kind of, um, you know, being able to execute everything, which is the hardest thing at this level. Uh, and finally, I, I think for me, I don't, I don't know if there's a deadline to this one. I don't know when I'll, I'll feel like we'll have an answer, but is like our Frank Schwindel and Patrick wisdom. At one point, do we say like, this is who they are, like what we saw last year and then into this year. I, I do think that no, not taking anything away from wisdom himself, but that bat that he's using the hockey puck knob seems to be paying off. Um, and with Schwindel, like even from his journey this season to um, getting sent down, not even spending a day in Iowa and then just like coming right back, uh, just mentally what maybe that did for him and how he was able to loosen up. So we see these guys continuing to produce at the plate. And um, like I said, I, I don't know when it will all feel like, okay, this is true, but just, it's been fun. It's been fun to watch them have success um, when they have those stretches where they do. And so I think just kind of 
keeping an eye on guys like that, that we, you know, talked about going into this season and how they could replicate uh, really last year. So another, we talk about Lanza's arms uh, coming up, the potential of, of players we could see. We got to see one of them and Caleb Killian, a highly touted prospect for the Cubs. So Lance, I'll start again with you on this one, um, just because I know you watch these guys closely, just your uh, impressions of Killian's debut. Yeah, I thought it was great. I, I think that the biggest thing that jumps out to me is a slight change in what they're doing with him compared to the AFL. And uh, he used to throw like kind of a, what some of the nerds would call like a dead zone four seam fastball, where dead zone just kind of means it doesn't really distinguish itself as like super hoppy or a lot of sink. But the sinker was really good. So he kind of threw two variations of a fastball last year. Dominated the AFL when we saw that. But it seems like the key thing I like in prospects is adjustments occurring when the guy's having success, preempting that they're going to, you know, how do I say this? Preempting the difficulties they may have at higher levels. You know, adjust the stuff now. Even if the guy's got like a 15K per nine and he's dominating, if you think the stuff can get better, adjust that and then bring him up. Like, don't just think that because he's doing well, he will succeed at the major league level. So what they're doing is they're kind of changing that forcing fastball but not have as much tail either way. So some of that, what you'd call like cut ride, which Keegan throws, Justin Steele kind of throws, David Robertson's a good example. Um, they're laying into that and then they're kind of adjusting the slider on him. So we saw like a little bit of a different killing than I, I expected to see if you were to ask me what he'd look like when I saw him in the NFL last year. So, so I liked it. I thought it was great. I mean, the key thing there is that he's going to sit in the zone a ton, right? Like, it's, it's a dream for anyone trying to watch a quick baseball game. He works quick. Like, he's in the zone a ton. The stuff's good enough to work in the zone. It's a matter of just optimizing, I think, some of the, some of the secondaries. Like, the sinker's good enough to generate ground balls and weak contact. I think that four seam will work against lefties in terms of generating weak contact. I'm not 100% sure on what the future is of the cutter. Like, I feel like that's two pitches there with the cutter and the slider. And I, I think I like the slider more based on historically what pitches work. But – it's another thing too. It's like, if he can throw four pitches in the zone, I think the floor is just incredibly high. So like, do you really want to give him a slider that he can't control as much? But I think he's a smart enough guy where he'll be able to kind of corral all this into a mix. That's pretty diverse, you know, four or five pitches. I think that alone is, is good for a pitcher to have that much diversity of repertoire. Um, especially when, you know, Swarmer is like the opposite of that where he's fastball slider. It's two pitches and it's like, here you go, hit it. Um, maybe there's more variance in that profile is what I'll say than there is in a guy like Killian. Where I think that killing, like you saw today, that I wouldn't be shocked if like he throws 15 starts in the major leagues over the course of how many years. And like, this is probably one of the more average or bad ones, you know, where it's just like, okay, yeah, he went five and he gave up a couple and he struggled for an inning, but otherwise it was really good. And I think that you're just going to get a lot of that with Caleb Killian. Yeah. I mean, I was really like, to your point, Lance, that he lives in the zone a lot. I was really impressed with that first inning. Like he comes yeah. out with nerves. He's facing, you know, a, a pretty red hot Cardinals lineup and Tommy Edmond and Nolan Gorman and then uh, Paul Goldschmidt. And I think it was 12 pitches, 11 pitches that he mowed him down, had had two strikeouts, had, uh, got three or four swings and misses, was hitting 96, 97 in the radar gun, like just impressive overall. But then I was really impressed with his fifth inning. You know, he, he lost his command there a bit in the fourth. He never really gave up a lot of hard contact. But, you know, after that, he, and, and Ross gives him the ball, goes back out for the fifth inning, and he makes that adjustment to, to go back out to, uh, you know, set the Cardinals down to show that he can make in-game adjustments, that he can get his command back in a big league game in his debut. 
I thought that was probably the most impressive part and speaks to the fact that like this guy could be legit moving forward and that he's pretty close to big league ready, you know, like the, the ability to not let the emotions or the moment get too much for him. So uh, yeah, I was really impressed overall. You know, I'm really curious to see when he comes up next and, and you figure when he comes up next, it's probably here to stay. So, um, you know, later this summer, August, whenever it may be, um, I think it'll be a really, really interesting piece for Cubs fans to watch in the rotation the rest of this year. I think too, just overall, what struck me is when he was out there, he just looked like a big leaguer, Um, whether it was his size, his composure, the way he carried himself, you just felt like um, with every, the work he's put in to this point, he just kind of was prepared and, and, and just kind of saw himself where he was in that moment. He wasn't overwhelmed by it. Um, and yeah, I, I think just exactly, uh, maybe Lance, not the stuff that you would expect, but in terms of what he can do on the mound, I think that's exactly who Killian is. Like you said, someone who's just going to pound the strike zone and that's what makes him effective. Um, just using his location his spin. And so, um, I, I, it was fun. It was fun to watch a guy like that in his debut. Who's talked about so much. That was the first time I got to see him pitch because, um, given we didn't know at the time, but, um, we were supposed to, we thought we were going to see him in Iowa and then sure enough goes up to the big leagues to make that start. So I, I wasn't able to see him down in Iowa and I had a couple of games, but it was even more exciting probably to see him up at the big league level to just see what a guy can do, you know, on the, on the big stage, whether it's his first start or not. Cause you know that these guys all have high expectations for themselves too. Like just because it's their first start, they, they want to prove, they want to show everyone uh, what they're capable of. And the same goes for Matt Swarmer. I mean, here's a guy who comes up, he has worked so hard over the years i give him all the credit in the world this is someone um who has not been like a caleb killian and like a highly touted prospect um he has put in the time he has put in the work a few years ago um during covid was playing in a men's league i'm not talking about like a men's league full of mlb players like he just wanted to play ball to stay sharp and so that's what he did and he has um just talking to Ron Valone, just that work that he has put in with him and listening and taking it in and making those adjustments. I know that I was texting with Alex Cohen during Swarmer's first start. And all we could say is we were just so happy for him because when you able to even see some of these guys journeys and I just get a glimpse of it when I do these games in Iowa, but you know, there was a lot leading up to it. And even when they are there in AAA, uh, you you just, you know, love to see someone like that. Um, you know, I true believer hard work pays off. And I think that he is a perfect example of that. So Tony, I don't know, just, you know, you have thought since you've seen him, um, but your impressions basically. Yeah. I, I mean, the fact that he had two quality starts, his first two starts was uh, not only impressive, but I think just so valuable to the team in the midst of two doubleheaders a week where they were playing 11 games in nine days. Like it was so valuable, but also so unpredictable. Like I had heard of him before, but I didn't know much sure. about him and I didn't know that story. And um, I didn't know that he was so heavy, like fastball slider mix, but I, I think it is impressive too, like the different variations of the slider he has. And he talked a little about it after his start against the Cardinals where, you know, he can drop one in the zone if he needs to. Uh, when he really wants to put a guy away, he throws a little bit harder to get a little bit more horizontal movement. Um, it has a lot of dip to it. It almost in, in some ways, I mean, Lance, you can talk more about this too, but just like a, sl- a slider dropping that much was a little bit um, maybe like out of characteristic or whatever for me, like uh I just, I don't see that very often. Right. And for him to be able to do that and then live off a of fastball, that's 94, 95. And uh, I, it was all just very impressive. And 
for a guy to come up and do that, it looks like he can be a multi-inning reliever, like I said, moving forward. But for right now, like, why not stick him in the rotation, see what you can do and um, see what what he can provide for this team moving forward as they have some question marks with Wade Miley might be coming back this weekend. But like Drew Smiley, we don't know when he's going to be back, probably sometime in July. And, and you don't really know Keegan Thompson is so valuable in the rotation. So like for now, until killing gets up, until, you know, maybe some guys are traded or get back to healthy, whatever, why not ride with Swarmer and see what he's got? And, and I'm really curious to see what how he does against the, the Yankees and Yankee Stadium this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think Swarmer is really interesting because he wasn't really on my radar at all. I'd heard of him too, but I had really no idea what to expect. I didn't really think the ultimate goal is a starter with him, but it kind of looks like that might be the result. Yeah, that slider is an interesting pitch. It doesn't really – if you were to, like, run it through, like, what you'd call, like, a stuff grader, which I know the Cubs have internally and most organizations do, it doesn't really pop. Like, it doesn't show up as, like, a pitch that's exceptional. But the thing that's very obvious, and to me at least apparent early on, is that he's got really good command of it which can make up for a pitch that isn't particularly great on the stuff side. You know what I mean? Stuff being like, is it thrown hard with a lot of movements? Probably the simplest way to put that, but his command of it is incredible. Like if you look at plots of where he's thrown the pitch, it's to righties in particular, it's, it's all down and away. Um, and that's exactly where he's never going to get beat with it. Right. And if he tunnels the fastball right off that sits middle with the fastball, sits a little bit up with the fastball. Like I just think it's really hard for hitters to distinguish between those two pitches based on the spin of the ball. As Tony was saying, yeah, it's a, it's a weird pitch. It drops like that. It's kind of just thrown like a football. Like imagine just a football being thrown out of the hand. Generally, those pitches are a little hard to throw harder uh, because you're not like getting pure backspin on the ball, which is like probably the most efficient way to apply velocity. But but yeah, it's, it's a good pitch. It's, it's one that I think will be relying on command. Um, but I don't see any reason to think that he hasn't been able to command it well and that won't continue. So yeah, I think, I, I think the, the future on him is probably like kind of like a five, which uh, a five in the rotation, which isn't bad at all, right? For a guy that, you know, is doing this and maybe doesn't have the upside of a Killian, but kind of comes out of, I don't want to say nowhere, but kind of comes out of not too much on the prospect pedigree side of things and is able to do this. I think that's a huge success. I feel like we often get maybe a little aggressive in thinking every pitcher is like a three or a two, or it could be a two, but the reality is like, there's so few of those guys in major league baseball that you end up with a bunch of fives. Like you're, you're going to have the ability to match guys up. You're going to have bunch of good trade pieces you're gonna have a bunch of good players um and i feel like swarmer fits that bill and while you guys were talking to you because I, I talked to ron valone the pitching coach in iowa about swarmer because he's worked with him very closely and um to your point just kind of like to kind of summarize basically everything you guys have talked about with his stuff and how he got there you valone saying he was just such a great student of the game he never gave in he never complained uh like i mentioned always just worked really hard and I, I love what he said, because if you remember, after his first start, Swarmer said something like, you know, I just got to grip it and rip it and just kind of let that slider go. And it was funny because when I was talking to Ron Valone, he was saying, you know, there were times where he was looking more for size. And when he learned to just grip it and rip it, that's when he really started to, you know, be able to execute that slider. And so I go, wait a minute. That, that's what Swarmer said after, you know, in his interview, he goes, yeah, he goes, he's really, you know, taking that tart to me. It showed a guy who's not just hearing the information, but soaking it in and using it. And, and if it's that phrase that stuck with him, then great. It worked. And, and so it was just fun to um, kind of see him early on uh, or at least, you know, last year say, and, and just 
how he's kind of come forward. So it, it's been really fun to watch. Um, there's probably a lot of other guys too that are going to be fun to watch that we haven't gotten glimpses of, or maybe we have and we could see more of. So Lance, we'll start with you. Just um, guys who are having big years in the farm system or maybe names we should kind of keep an eye on. Yeah, PCA just got called up. Peter Armstrong acquired in the Javier Baez trade. Uh, just got called up to high A. Uh, eight games, small sample, a little bit of struggle so far, but I, I doesn't doesn't affect my ranking at all on what I think of him as a player. Um, I feel like it's just an adjustment or two away. Um, he's, you know, he's just kind of getting unlucky. There's also that weird quirk in the minors now where you face a team six times in a row. Like, you do like these yeah. series, which helps. I, from what I've talked to players about, they love it because there's less travel in the aggregate on, like, a month basis. But from the hitting side, it's interesting because you generally see, like, a team's approach to you over and over and over. So it's fun to kind of play that cat and mouse. Obviously, as you jump up level to level, the stuff gets better. Um, high A to double A is probably one of the bigger jumps. We're starting to see a lot of guys jump up from double A to the majors, which kind of implies that double A to triple A isn't too big of a jump anymore. But class A to high A, I think, is another jump, too, where you just start to get guys with better control. The COVID years and everything have just really thrown off quality pitching in the minor leagues. And I, I felt like for a while, PCA was too advanced for class A. So I, I love that he's getting the challenge now. He's got the rest of the season to figure it out there. He's, I mean, he mashed in Myrtle Beach the entire year, um, which was really no surprise at all. Uh, Kevin Alcantara acquired in the Anthony Rizzo trade. He's having a really good year down in Myrtle Beach. I probably expect him to get called to South Bend as well. A little bit younger, um, maybe a little less polished on the approach, but he's a super tall, lanky guy with a ton of upside, ton of raw power, definitely a different profile than a Peter Armstrong. That guy mentioned Jeremiah Strada too in the high A. Like, again, just guys like that popping up are fun. Riley Martin is one that I know early on um was dealing he had I think I don't remember the stats off the top of my head but had like three or four starts in a row where he was just almost untouchable they pushed him up to South Bend a little bit of struggle since he's primarily fastball changeup guy added a cutter but the changeup's really good um he kind of sits low 90s too there's been a lot of guys I think the Cubs system that are not super high velo but are getting really good success which is always kind of perplexing as to me, my head spins in terms of like, what do the Cubs know about that delivery or how he got, how he moves or how deceptive he is? Or what have they been able to quantify around that? That always jumps out to me and gets my head spinning. Um, I could go on and on. I mean, there's a ton of guys. Cam Sanders is one. I just love the raw stuff on him. I definitely overlooked him for a little bit, but seeing the data on him, seeing what he's able to spin, it's good fastball. Maybe there's a little bit of control problems, but we're getting to the point where a lot of those guys with big raw stuff just sit in the middle of the zone. Like you don't really need to command the ball. You can beat the guys with pure stuff. We've seen that with, Shane McClanahan's a name that jumps to mind, not Cub, Ray's lefty, but he's been, he's an AL uh, Cy Young front runner right now and really good stuff, but they just sit over the middle to play with him. And I'd love to see the Cubs do something similar with Cam Sanders. Yeah, for me, I mean, it, you know, going back to like the high A outfielders that you were talking about with PCA Lance, I mean, Johendrick Penango has yeah. been really interesting, you know, that power showing up for, you know, young lefty bat and uh, Owen Casey as well has been really impressive. I know Lance, you just talked to him uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, after he won the minor league player of the year for the, or sorry, player of the month for me for the Cubs. But I, I think Chase Strumpf is a guy that has really uh, intrigued me over the last couple of months, you know, second round pick in 2019, he's been playing all third base this year, which, you know, he's bounced around positions a bit, but since mid April, I was looking it up. Like he is like an OPS near a thousand. He, his powers there, he's still striking out a decent amount, but he's drawing walks at like a 17% clip. You know, his on-base percentage is 424 in that time uh, since April 20th. And, you know, the power is there. Uh, he just, he looks really good. And this is his second year in a row at double a. Um, so, you know, to kind of repeat that. And then 
at, get off to a slow start, but make these adjustments in season and be able to post power numbers on base numbers. And, and, you know, I, I don't know how his defense is too, but, you know, playing at third base and he's played it second in the past, but he's a guy that, that stood out to me. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious uh, what's next for him, you know, if it's jump to AAA soon, or uh, maybe if he's even another guy that we could see in the big leagues, like Lance, you mentioned a guy going from double A to the big leagues, like, um, you know, we saw it with Morrell and he only had 10 games of experience above double A. So I, I don't know. I don't know if, if Strumpf is a guy that we'll end up seeing at Wrigley at some point this year. But the way he's been hitting lately he certainly looks like he's due for a promotion soon. It's funny that you mentioned him because I, I believe I said this on one of the Iowa games. It was uh, there were two guys that kind of stuck out to me at spring training this year, Chase Strumpf and Jared Young, who's in triple A. And Strumpf actually it. it it's interesting too that you're like I mentioned his defense because that's actually what I remember about him in the field. I remember having him having good feet, good hands, good glove, uh, good arm, and just kind of really held it down over there at the hot corner. And then at the plate too, um, I don't remember what he did in spring training, but I just remember all around just kind of like he piqued my interest in terms of what he was doing there and what it looked like the the raw skills that he had and, and could be developing. And I mentioned Jared Young right now in AAA. I mean, I just really like his game. He's a lefty hitter, a uh, taller guy, uh, like so a good size for a first baseman. He can also play the outfield. He's always been very vocal about saying wherever you want to put me, I want to play just whatever gets my bat in the lineup. Um, just a really calm approach to him, just confident, like his quiet confidence as well. So he would be a guy that anytime like I can bring up his name. I don't know. I've just always really enjoyed watching him play. I think, you know, P. Crow Armstrong is going to be a name that you continue to hear a lot about. I think he has it. I'll never forget a moment. Uh, when I was on the sidelines for spring training, he he didn't make a catch, but it would have been almost like nearly impossible if he did. I think it was just kind of in, say, like one of the, the corners or maybe even hit off the screen at some point, whatever it was. He's like, man, I should have had that when he came in the dugout. And I was thinking like, you know, I love seeing that because it, it shows you, though, where his head's at and how he thinks of himself and the plays that he can make and what he can do out there. And when you have high expectations like that, I never think that's a bad thing when you kind of believe in yourself that you can kind of make all those plays that's what you want out there and same thing Owen Casey uh, when I read about him or I see him I think he has a lot of good skills talent um, just kind of his mindset too when I read about it and how he puts players swings together to kind of create his own and his own and you're talking about like the best of the best um, of who he looks at so um, yeah I think it's it's a fun time in the farm system and the fact that we have you know like we've mentioned these names and I should mention just too like keep an eye on the bullpen in Iowa, there's a lot of big names there. Like we saw Kane Necker in spring training. Eric Ullman is another guy you mentioned in the rotation, Cam Sanders. Um, Alex Cohen said on our podcast, uh, just he has the best pure stuff, he thinks, um, in the Cubs system. So that's saying a lot when we're mentioning a lot of right now pitching prospects that seem to have good stuff. So, um, yeah, we hope that we've had good stuff to this point. Sure. But for right now, we're going to take a commercial break. So we'll be right back after this. At Wintrust, we know true fans show their team pride every chance they get. With Cubs checking, you'll score a Cubs debit card so you can show your support every time you pay. Open today at Wintrust.com slash Cubs Weekly. $100 required to open. Member FDIC. Back here on the Cubs Weekly Podcast, Elise Meneker, Tony Andraki, Lance Brozdowski, talking Patrick Wisdom because I mentioned briefly early on in the pod that he's using that hockey puck. That. Now, I'm not the first one to mention it. We've been talking about this, uh, but let's just kind of, you know, discuss it and what we think of it and how it's, you know, helped him or what it means kind of um, even for baseball, because he's not the only one 
around the league using it. So Tony, I'll start with you and just kind of your impression since you've seen him using this um, new phenomenon, if you will, it's kind of hit the league. Yeah, you know, I think the big thing is the strikeout rate has gone down in the three, four weeks since he's been using it. And, um, you know, obviously that's not all the bat, but if the bat helps, if it can affect uh, his mechanics in a good way and his swing and keeping the bat in the zone longer. Um, but if it affects his confidence and his mental feel at the plate, um, I think that all works too. But I, really what I've seen with him over the past few weeks is, I mean, I was noticing it even before I noticed the bat, but just long at bats, he had, he's constantly getting into full counts. He's, he's following more pitches off than I feel like I've ever seen him fall off over the last calendar year at the Cubs. And, you know, he's doing all that without sacrificing power. And that was always the big thing with wisdom is David Ross has talked multiple times is like, you don't want to get rid of what he does well, right? The power is what he does well, the ability to put the ball on Waveland at any point, but to, to do that with a higher contact rate was always the goal. And now it's been happening and it's been happening for a little bit of an extended period of time. So, you know, if the bat helps with that and it sure seems like it's helping at least a little bit, then that's huge. And, and I'm really curious to see where this is, you know, how this plays out moving forward because wisdom without as many strikeouts and the same amount of power with his good defense, good base running, maybe even a bit more on base skills. If he can get deeper in at bats and foul pitches off, like that becomes a really, really valuable player more than just this valuable player he's been for the first year with the Cubs. But, you know, I, I think it's cool. And Lance, that, that demo that you and, and Carlos Pena did last week about it with the bat, one of it, one of wisdom's, uh, you know, former bats. I, I thought that was really cool. And I loved what you guys were talking about and Pena just talking about keeping the bat head in the zone longer. And I, that whole thing I thought was fascinating. Yeah. I appreciate that. That was a lot of fun. I, I think the main takeaway from it is like, it, it adjusts the balance point of the bat, which is kind of the, I think the buzzy word that we're going to hear a lot more. Um, basically it just takes the, where the distribution of weight is closer to your hands. And when something's closer to your hands, it's going to be a little bit easier to swing and, it could jump bat speed like it has for wisdom, presumably given the exit feel is up since he started using it. But the more interesting thing to me was when I talked to Paul Goldschmidt about this, actually, because the Cubs have like, or excuse me, the Cardinals have three players using a similar knob, Lars Newbar, the lefty, Noel Arenado, and Paul Goldschmidt. Goldschmidt and Arenado went down to Marucci's facility in Louisiana and got fitted for bats, essentially club fitting for baseball is really what it is. And Goldschmidt told me, you know, I always thought like it was just a bat speed thing with that idea of the bounce point being closer to your hands, you swing harder, exit feel higher. You can use it a little bit heavier of a bat and be able to create more bat speed, which is one of the fundamental pieces of being a good hitter. And Goldstream was like, it wasn't really bat speed for me. It was more like the bat that they told me was optimal for me. It was a slight adjustment from the bat I'd been using. And they said that it essentially just helped my body sequence better. It wasn't really a thing where they were like, your exit is up, use this, you know? So the, there's so many little nuances to it. And when I talked to Wisdom, he was like, yeah, no, I just saw it and I used it uh, because Jack Peterson and Anthony Rizzo and some other guys. And I, I asked my, my back company, Homewood Bats, um, which I think is an Illinois brand, actually. Um, yeah. yeah. And he was like, can you just make one without too much scientific process behind it? And Wisdom's intuition has gotten to, to this point with it. Maybe it's not 100% because of the bat, but I imagine it plays some role in it. Um, and I asked him whether he'd be interested in like going to a facility and getting fitted. He very quickly said yes. So I think that there's a lot of it, the more you expose more players to stuff like this, I think you start to question things, especially when you see guys like Goldschmidt and Arenado using it and Jack Peterson and Anthony Rizzo. You start to go, okay, like let me try that. And then when you get the science behind it of like, oh, 
you know, let's mocap you. Let's do a lot of fancy stuff on the, on the biomechanics side to figure out what's optimal. You know, at the end of the day, it's small edge, but when a small sample of players have that edge, I think it starts to really stand out and maybe wisdom's process wasn't as scientific, but the results are great. Yeah. In fact, I asked him, uh, you know, cause not only are baseball players so routine oriented, but to make a change like that in your swing at this level, it can be tough. Um, it may feel really good, but you're so used to what you've been doing. And so I said, you know, what made you like, was there a day you're just like, man, I just want to, he's like, no, he'd been practicing with his swing in the cage swing, like hitting BP and thinking like, you know, why don't I try it in a game? And so maybe it was just about even building that comfort and confidence to just like pull the trigger to, to use it in a game. But, um, I asked Jed Hoyer about it and just kind of his thoughts as other players, like you mentioned, Lance around the league are using it. I believe from what I read, Jock Peterson is believed to be the first person who used this bat. And he was saying that, um, for that pitching is ahead of hitting. So if hitters can develop something like this to give them an advantage as they try to catch up with pitching. He says it's great. And, you know, why not almost use something like like this if it helps? And, and I'm kind of on, on that page, you know, where um, if there is stuff like this that can help hitters and, and they can hit better with it, like, yeah. I mean, if I were a hitter and I saw something like this and it felt good and I was seeing results, like confidence is a big thing at the plate. And so if, if there's something like that, um, you know, a bat that can give you more confidence. And I'm not saying that wisdom lacked confidence, but if, if you can just create that consistently um, and the trust in your bat and in your hands, and like you're talking about even the rhythm at the plate that this bat gives you, like your body being like more in sync, because that's, you know, we talk about it with pitching. And you hear guys say, even Keegan Thompson the other day, I thought I, did, I wasn't stepping as far. So what happens in his arms behind? You, you hear how like all the pieces come together. Same thing as hitting. If your step is off with your hands, your load, all that. And you just don't make a solid contact. So, um, yeah, I, I'm fascinated by it. I love it. Like, I can't talk about, I mean, in general, I can't talk about hitting enough. But um, when there's something like this that's kind of, you know, relatively new and, and guys are trying it out and it works, I think it's really cool. And Lance, was there something else that you yeah. wanted to add? I thought, I yeah. Dangle, the future of this is, I talked to Goldschmidt about it, where, you know, the knob we're seeing, you visually see it, but there's also adjustments that can occur in the bat without a knob. Like, you could adjust the bounce point. You could have two bats that are exact same weight, exact same length with different balance points, you know what I mean? And that affects your swing. And the thing that I talked to Goldschmidt about was like, what if we get to a point where you're using a bat depending on the pitcher's pitches, right? So like attacking a guy with high fastballs that have a ton of cop carry is very different than attacking like 91 sink, you know what I mean? And like sliders versus changeups. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, do you think we're going to get to a point where you almost have like a caddy, but for your bats, you know what I mean? That's yeah. Like, yeah. That's funny. That, that would be really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a great point. And it's almost like, why not? Yeah, right. right? Like if a guy's going to go out there and throw 100, like, sure, you may want to throw a lighter like, batter distribution, whatever it is. So you want, because then if you have a guy throwing low 90s, mid 90s, it's totally different. Yeah, the yeah. tough part is the tip part is we might not be able to see them going to different bats. So I was like, totally. even if they actually <laughs> do it, like, you know, they all might look the same. So the hitter might be like, you know, I'm using this, but no one's going to know. I don't want the pitcher to know. Like, there could be a lot yeah. of. Yeah. Wisdom said too, like different bats have you swing differently. So he was a little worried that by going to like four bats, you know, you'd have four swings, two of them might be working, you know, you might really throw off your body, but I still think it's something that guys are going to try, you know what I mean? So we'll see. What were yeah, you that's say? interesting. And, and the reporters and us are going to hate it if they start doing that. We're like, man, <laughs> yeah. we didn't know this. This is happening the whole time. Yeah, uh, but it's going to lead to other stories too, which will be like really cool. I mean, I, I think that's fascinating. Like, 
in slow pitch softball, I use two different bats. Like one is older for like contact and one is for like more power. Now that has nothing to do with 91 miles an hour. But like when you said that, Lance, that was the first thing I thought of was like, oh yeah, you know, I've had that approach, but like I, I would, that would be so fascinating. And then different situations, like you come up with a guy on third, less than two outs. You're like, Hey, this, this bat has, you know, I can make more contact with it. Or maybe like this bat, I have a, the possibility of, you know, hitting a sack fly to the outfield better, like whatever it is. I just think like it opens so many doors. So I, I don't know. I, this is going to be really cool to follow. And just one more thing, like when you're saying like a wisdom was like, you know, I don't know if I want four different bats. Uh, when I was a hitter, like I would adjust, like when we see you Brizzo, for instance, choke up or half chokes up on the bat all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would move my feet more, I think due to like, um, you know, maybe the communication that can happen in the field between the catcher and pitcher. If you're moving around in the box, guys kind of stay where they like to stand. But mm-hmm. um, I think I would try to like, to your point, if I liked my bat, I would just think to myself, what, what other things can I adjust? Shorten my swing, choke up. Uh, for me, like stand somewhere differently. So um, perhaps that's kind of, if they like that bat, that's another route um, that they could go if it's, if it's uncomfortable. Um, Cause I, I'm with you. I think, you know, why not? Right. Like if, if, if it can help um, another guy that actually has come up and, and really been a big impact player is PJ Higgins. Um, and just the way he's come along and, and not just like defensively, but offensively, a guy who is producing in AAA and has done good things at the plate up in the big league level. So um, Lance, I'll start with you and just kind of like, even with Gomes, like returning in a bit, um, kind of where you see Higgins fit into this picture and what you've seen out of him so far. Yeah, I think the key thing for me is that it's good to see them producing some catching depth. Like Amaya, I think was everyone thought was kind of the heir to the throne, so to speak, of catcher, the catcher position major league level. Obviously he's down with some Tommy John stuff. I don't know if that's going to affect his future profile much. Like I still think he's a pretty good catcher, um, but I like to see a guy like Higgins pop through because the Cubs system apart from like uh, Amaya isn't really too deep on the catching side. There's a couple guys, Paulo Aliendo and uh, this uh, international signee. I think his name's Moises Bastilero. So I'm probably butchering that last name, but like there's so much variance in catchers and they generally take so long to get to the major league level that, Having one at the major league level right now in Higgins that's clearly serviceable on the offensive and defense side of things is really valuable to the organization. Uh, I think that that is something – maybe he's a guy that, like, stays up here longer than we think he will. You know, like, down – especially I'm talking, like, multiple years. I'm not just talking, like, a small period of time. But, like, you know, who knows what happens this offseason? Who knows what happens beyond then? But I think Higgins carves out a role. And if we go to an automatic strike zone – like that's going to really change things on the catching side. I, I catching is like the hardest thing to analyze. In my opinion, it's, it's really difficult because there's so many intangibles that go into it as beyond just framing. Like I think game calling is still something that's really underrated communication with pitchers. Most of the time, no matter who you talk to on the pitching side, they're going to say they like a catcher in reality. I don't know if that's always true, you know? So it's like, there's so many nuance to it. And it takes guys so long. You run into so many little injuries so, like, the DH and the NL is great for a guy like Contreras to get a little time to kind of rest his body. And with that good of an offensive profile, you want him in the lineup as much as possible. Um, so, I, I think from a macro standpoint, I like a P.J. Higgins because it, it's great. It's great to have a guy like this as opposed to being hamstrung by not too much top-end catching depth. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and the, his ability to play other positions as well and, and be more than serviceable at first and third. I mean, he had a really nice scoop um, – forget when it was maybe against the Brewers in the last homestand uh, that, you know, was impressive at first base. And then 
I, we've heard for a while, and I think David Ross has even said that he's one of Higgins is one of the better defenders the Cubs have at third base in the system. So to do all that, and to your point, Lance, to to catch, um, you know, and he's just hit really well, and he's hit pretty well, you know, in his minor league career. And I know he's been tearing it up in Iowa this year before coming up to the big leagues, but he's obviously been pitching, you know, hitting really well in general. He's drawing walks, he has some power, he's using the the whole field, so he is impressive. You know, he's a guy who hurt his elbow and forearm last year and missed a bunch of time after he got called up. He is 29. You know, he's not um, necessarily like a huge long-term option, but like if he can be, he's an optional guy. He's under team control for a while. If he can be a guy that, you know, is a bench role player for this team moving forward, like I think that's pretty big to all of the points, Lance, that you just mentioned, but also he looks like he could be that guy. He looks like he has the offensive skill set to, to help the team out. And, you know, with the ability to DH or play other positions, I, I think he's also a guy that the Cubs could keep and kind of carry three catchers You because Higgins can play third. He can play first. He can back up some of those other positions. So it, it makes a lot of sense to me, I think, to to get some more run for Higgins this year and as the season wears on, uh, just to see how things play out, even when Gomes returns. And I think what we've seen, too, um, obviously Contreras and Gomes are very capable of what I'm about to say, but um, he can you know, catch the guys coming up. He's caught them. He's familiar with them. So when you have a swarmer, when you have a Killian, I mentioned other guys, we've talked about pitchers in the system, but especially like those triple A guys, if they get called up um, the familiarity factor that's there and just how, when guys then make their debuts, um, like I, I believe it was on swarmers debut where there was just kind of this, like, um, you know, this, this relaxation that came over Swarmer, knowing that here's a guy who I've been throwing to behind the plate. We can just kind of settle in. Um, you're in this new environment, but to be able to see that familiar face right there, kind of controlling the game for you, I think is really big for these guys. So I think there's a value there. And, and, and just, um, it's like a fun element to it, right? That was kind of unexpected with Higgins uh, coming up. But like you're saying, the, the always much needed depth at the catcher position with these injuries that can pop up and Higgins proving very capable that he can slot right in there and um, really not skip a beat uh, when it comes to the game calling defense and even offensively um, jumping up to the big league level. Uh, we talk about catchers and I have a feeling um, we're all going to have maybe the same answer on this final question that we're going to talk about when we uh, look at the all-star game that is coming up uh, a Cubs player players who could be headed to LA. Tony, I will start with you and uh, who your thoughts, your pick is. Yeah. Well, you, you teed that up perfectly. I think Wilson Contreras <laughs> is in line for uh, to start his third all-star game. I, I, you know, really, unless he had some sort of major slump or injury, um, he's a no brainer for me to be on the team. And then I think it might be between like him and, and Dalton Varsho in Arizona as to who starts the game. Um, but I think Wilson, you know, everything he's done for the team and, uh, you know, he hits so high in the lineup and he's he, he's obviously a DH because they appreciate everything he does offensively on days he doesn't catch. So I, I think for sure Wilson Contreras will represent the Cubs in the All-Star game. And then I was kind of interested about a couple Cubs pitchers like Keegan Thompson, I thought had a really strong case until this tough outing in Baltimore, it was always going to be tough for him because that multi-inning reliever swingman role, you know, a guy who's only made four or five starts or who knows how many it'll be by the time the all-star break comes. Like those guys don't often get the, the all-star attention that they deserve, I think, but 
you know, he was right up there towards the top with an NL and wins six. And obviously prior to that start in Baltimore, he had a sub two ERA. So if he can turn things around, I think he has something of a case. It might be a little bit of a, um, a bubble type of case, but I think David Robertson as well, you know, he's, he's got seven saves and just a really good ERA, good peripherals, striking out a lot of guys, like what a great bounce back and story and resurgence uh, from him, you know, we had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago. So I think it's Wilson for sure. And then I'm curious if like Robertson or Keegan Thompson get a nod as well. Yeah. My sneaky pick here that I feel like we've, I don't know, as an organization forgot about, but Ian Happ is having a pretty good year. Uh, he's got like a 370 OBP, which in the current offensive environment is well above average. I'm always going to lean towards that set in terms of how, how to value a player, at least set a foundation for how to value a player. I don't necessarily know if he's going to get in. I feel like there's a lot of like that upper level name value in the NL outfield between like Betts and other guys where it's just like those guys are just shoe-ins, you know? So I don't know if we get to a point where Hap becomes like a an alternate if someone gets pulled out for um, injury or whatever, but I feel like he's my number two pick. Uh, obviously, Willie, yeah. I think I think like an F Ross, but again, like the save numbers aren't good enough. So I'd go Willie and Robertson, I think, are the two guys that get in. I think on the – in the studio, we've been talking a little bit about Morrell. I know that Cole's been pushing that case, which, <laughs> listen, like, I love Christopher Morrell, but the guy's played 20 games. Like, yeah. he's a, a third of the year. Like, you just you can't put a guy like that in. I understand the value's good, but, like, there's there's a little, long list of guys that have produced more value and a little bit more games played, even probably an equivalent amount of games played. And I don't think he's going to get in. But I love the thought. It'd be great to see him in there. But I – it's way too aggressive for me. I'd, I'd prefer Hap over him. Like, I understand that Morales made more of an electric player, but, like, 370 OBP in this offensive environment is insane, and Hap's doing that. Let me tell you, if there was, like, a personality, if there's an all-star, there like, energy personality team, 100%, yep. Morales is the first name on that list. I don't care how many games he's played in. Um, but I think it's fun. Like you're saying, it's like a fun thought. Like, you know, I – for me, it's the sample size. That's really all it is. Yeah. You know, you yeah. just want to see him do it over a longer period. Um, but I think all the names that you guys mentioned are, you know, I, I think it's a, a good point about half uh, the pitching staff as well. And then kind of understanding, you know, sometimes guys like that like, don't get in. But uh, for Contreras, I think that's just the obvious one for all of us. So I think that's kind of like you're saying, assuming things just kind of play out or, or stay as they've been going, that that's um, a name that you can kind of pencil in there. So that'll wrap it up for this week's edition of the Cubs Weekly Podcast. Uh, as always, it's presented by Wintrust. And don't forget to download and subscribe to the pod on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. And check us out in video form on the Marquee Sports Network app and YouTube. For Lance Brozdowski and Tony Andraki, always good to see you guys. That'll do it for this week.